You're listening to another episode of the Anavivo podcast. Thank you for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ana Vivo podcast. Thank you so much again for being here with me. Another week, your host, Tim Miller of beautiful Woodby Island, Washington. I would say the Lord's country, and I think uh, some many, many people would agree with that. <laughs> but I have to admit, I was actually born in Texas, and uh, they call that God's country. And so, um, who knows? That's not uh, not the topic of debate today. But I am happy and uh, blessed to be joined back again by world-renowned scientist. Uh, <laughs> he's shaking his head. <laughs> Genius, brilliant uh, author, and um, uh, really... I don't even know what what what's a good title for you other than legendary. Papa. <laughs> oh, Papa. Hey, that <laughs> speaks volumes in what is important to you. That's a good title. Of all the other titles, that's an important title. That's yes, it is. is that a is that a, a grandchild or a or a daughter? Both. Um, okay. Both. They both call uh-huh. you Papa. Right. That is a good good title. So this is the man, the myth, the legend of the Apollo <laughs> project at NASA. And uh, many other projects, and I, and you've heard him now several times on the air with me. We left off talking about or introducing the next category in these encounters, uh, which was um, coined by a friend of yours, uh, the Close Encounter of Five, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, uh, and this was coined by a friend of yours on the East mm-hmm. Coast. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he was he's a an astrologist or well, no, he's a, uh, a trauma care surgeon. Oh, that's right. He was a trauma care surgeon. Yeah, not even related. This is not even in his field, but he coined this term, close encounters of the fifth kind, which mm-hmm. is a new level that I had never heard of before. Right. And can you reintroduce us to the brief definition of what that is before we jump into the book that you wrote? Uh, sure. And it's nice to be back. <laughs> I've <laughs> nice been looking to forward you. to this uh, opportunity to share some... Uh, insights and uh, exciting information that some people may not have heard before. Yeah. Uh, What is a CE5? Well, basically, uh, it is a instance where human beings go outside or they're somewhere and they are proactive and they signal to the phenomenon wondering if they can get some kind of response back. Mm, Okay. Um, And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And when I started the study years ago, I didn't think anybody could get a response back. Why? Because I thought the phenomenon was all natural, Mm. uh, like ball lightning, for instance, and it doesn't respond back. Right. uh, Or whatever, some astronomical event. Well, much to my surprise, I found in the open literature not anything classified, 242 cases from around the world where people signaled or greeted or welcomed the phenomenon in some way, 
sometimes just out of curiosity, sure. and got a response back. Mm, and that's what defines a CE5. Indicating intelligent life as a Not as necessarily. To... No, not necessarily. Okay. But that's one of the things, that's one of the uh, surprising results I found <laughs> that came out of my study. Now, why would you say it doesn't have, or not necessarily have, intelligent life if it's responding to something that we initiated? Ah, well, look at it this way. Um, you you take, in your mind, picture yourself in a room with a, a mirror on the opposite wall. Okay. And you have a flashlight, and you flash your flashlight into the mirror. Mm. And so you see a repeat, exact repeat of what you flashed. Okay. Okay, that's not intelligence. That's you. Oh, got that's it. That's physics. Okay. That's just reflection. So it could still be a natural phenomenon. That door has to be left open. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, but on the other hand, I could read uh, many of these 244, <laughs> two, 242 cases um, where <clears throat> it's a, <clears throat> it could go either way. And so you have to use kind of a, an intuition, for instance, um, common sense, to determine whether there was intelligence or not. Mm. And that's what I did through this book, is categorize the kind of cases, the kind of human behavior involved, uh, date, time of day, illumination, location, and so forth, right. to see if some of those factors would fall out as being consistent in producing an, quote, intelligent response. Right. Now, do um, you have one? This is for those uh, just joining us. Go back and listen to the first couple of parts here with Dr. Richard Haynes and uh, notable author and um, scientist here. But uh, Dr. Haynes, would you, how would you define this differently But from CE4, which I also thought required some sort of interaction? It no, it doesn't. Okay. No, okay. The, the human being is passive. In the CE4 In a CE4, and he becomes a victim. Okay. If you take the typical dis, uh, definition right. of a CE4. An abduction or something. An abduction, that's right. right. Okay. Uh, you don't do that voluntarily. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody who wants to, basically. <laughs> so um, do you have any stories from this one, the CE5, that you would like to share out of out of all of the 242 that you've documented? Well, uh, yes. Um, but if... Yeah, I'd like to uh, read two short paragraphs here uh, on one of the ending pages of the book that has to do with intelligence. Okay, awesome. Uh, that may reside in the phenomenon itself. Here's the first one. And I'm quoting from the book here, uh, page uh, 421. First, these UFO phenomena act as if they are intelligently controlled. Supporting evidence for this claim includes the fact that A, human behavior does not appear to elicit an overt response from the UFO. Hmm. B, the UFO's reported response exactly duplicates very complex human behavior in some instances. C, a number of cases show that UFOs appear to go through similar response sequences when shot at and struck. Mm. And D, the UFOs often depart or disappear from an airplane that is attempting to approach it, and yet 
approaches and paces surface vessels. And second, these reports suggest that the UFO phenomena exhibits a great degree of self-restraint in not responding in kind to human aggressive behavior. Mm. In short, they seldom fire back when fired at. Does this simply indicate that it's a natural phenomenon, incapable of doing so? Mm. Or is such restraint deliberate? If the latter, then this is another sign both of their intelligence and wisdom. Mm. And Interesting, so- yeah. That, that brings and, and begs the question, are we truly alone in the universe? If there's so many of these documented cases, and obviously you're familiar enough with, with those that would, that would claim such things for personal gain or for you know, some sort of political agenda. And, and as a scientist, you're taking the approach of, of really documenting all of the facts, all of the hard evidence for these and trying to, trying to divide and, and, and categorize them in a way that shows uh, a factual support here. And so the question is, if we're not alone... <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, this turns into a philosophical one of what does that mean? Yeah. What do we do with that? Especially as believers, That's what right. do we do with that? Uh, particularly. Yeah. Yes, uh, I think that it's been a controversial issue for quite some time within the church, the Christian church, uh, about the meaning of life in outer space, and should we be concerned, and mm. how does it affect our interpretation of the Bible, uh, and why doesn't the Bible say more about this yeah. when, in fact, it says quite a bit, Okay, as yeah. far as I'm concerned? Right. Uh, let me briefly touch upon a couple cases here that I interpreted as saying that the phenomenon has some intelligence, okay? Um, I have three cases here where the airplane is flying along, minding his own business, and an object comes up along one wing and the pilot decides to signal to it. So he's acting overtly, proactively. Mm. And he he wiggles the wings. Right. The phenomenon, after a little delay, wiggles its wings. Wow. It doesn't have wings, but its yeah. body, so to speak. Okay, that's one type. I have, I would say, 30 cases where the craft changes its location and then leaves. Interesting. Okay. Why? Because the pilot did something aggressive. Hmm. A lot of these are military cases now. Right. Unclassified military cases. Uh, Let's see, about nine cases of the craft is signaled with a light, and it signals, turns its lights on. Wow. That's intelligence. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The question then is, is it a man-made intelligence, Mm -hmm. like a, a Russian vehicle or whatever, or is it from somewhere else? Well, you have a key distinction there in that that delay signifies intelligence. Unlike the example you gave about the mirror and the flashlight, which is an immediate right. mimicking response right. of what I'm doing, this is something else, something intelligent, capable of mimicking the response with their light or their body movement yes. after the initiation. Yes, mm. yes. And I have several cases here where the craft... I use that word craft very advisedly because I don't know if it's a craft. The phenomenon (laughs) repeats or returns the signal, usually a light signal, exactly like 
what the the human initiated to begin with mm. earlier. Mm. Um, airplane landing lights, two cases, a flashlight on the ground that was flashed once, one case, a flashlight on the ground that was flashed not just two times, but did it, da, did, did, did. Mm. And that was a delay, and then did it, it, da, did, comes back. Interesting. Yeah. A flashlight four times. The person on the ground in that case, just one case, uh, was so intrigued that he or she, I don't remember which, uh, repeated the symbol, the symbols four times. Interesting. And waited. And sure enough, you got four repeats back with wow. quite a delay in that case. Yeah. Right. Car headlights, uh, three cases. Uh, a light source is returned exactly in three more cases. A light beam or ray is shown back <clears throat> in four more cases. Uh, that's a lot of cases. Right, right. You know? Now, you could say that you know, Americans or human beings simply want to be notarized and make these stories <laughs> up. Sure. You can't be verified. They're not open to science. Yeah. You, there's nothing recorded there. If mm -hmm. it was on videotape, it would be different. be wonderful to have that. Right. But I don't know of any. This is relying on the honesty of the witness in this case. Right. And that's where the weakness is. Sure. As a, at least as a scientific endeavor. Right. Uh, if one will accept narrative data, mm. like most psychologists do, by the way, mm. um, then it opens up all these wonderful dimensions of the phenomenon. Right. Uh-huh. Now, the the specific case here on Whidbey that you had mentioned in a previous episode here, would that fall under the CE5 category because they chased it up West Beach Road and it kind of reacted, or is that different? It's different because the phenomenon, it was a metallic disc object, large three-dimensional, 20, 30 feet across. Mm -hmm. It started moving before they chased it. Oh, okay. okay. That's why they chased it. Right. Because okay. they wanted to keep it in sight. Right, uh -huh. yeah. And these were two, the, the car incident and the two gals out in the um, in the field, are they unrelated persons? Or yeah, they, they the don't know people? each other. They don't. They're not no. at, here at the same church that we're no, at? Or, okay. No, <laughs> no. Interesting. Uh-uh. Wow. I've invited one of them to join us at oh, really? Family Bible, but she didn't want to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you meant join us on the air. I was like, oh, this will be interesting. <laughs> First hand witness here. Neat. Wow. So um, how long did it take you to write this book and document all these cases? Ooh. Well, as I uh, recollect, it's about a year, okay. roughly. I started out really as a skeptic. And not expecting well, you're to find scientific any. in your mind, so well, yeah, <laughs> it's got to prove itself, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm biased, and it's not fair, right? Right. Know? No, about a year, I think. Okay. Um, but once I started looking, the cases just flooded out of the literature. Mm. It was just amazing to see that happen. Yeah. Now, in your opinion, as both a scientist and a Christ follower. One, you started this because it's a hobby and it's something you're just passionate about, but where did it lead you? Lead me? Yeah. It, well, led me to... I mean, this isn't the first book or this this isn't the first study or, or things that you've done in this area, in this no. field. No, it led... <clears throat> I can't say there's a direct connection, because okay. I don't think my mind works that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm maybe not very sequential, more random, <laughs> or shotgun maybe is a sure. better approach. Yeah. I think the next major project was NARCAP, okay. our uh, aviation safety initiative, right. basically. Um, no, I haven't done another UAP book since this one. Okay. Where where did it lead you in your mind and your heart and what you believe about the universe and God and oh. all of this? I mean, it's a broad question, but this is also a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not well, currently employed by NASA anymore, No, I'm right? <laughs> for, I retired now, fortunately. Um, I have to repo- uh, respond, however, to the NASA comment, because even if I were still working for them, they wouldn't have a problem with this. Okay, yeah. As long as I said I was speaking for myself and not right. representing them. Right, right. That was the caveat, <laughs> basically. But to go back to your first question, um, as a believer in Jesus Christ and trying to live by his mandates, his teachings, this has widened my perception of his creativity. Mm. Yeah. Scripture teaches that he was present at the origin of the world, Mm. the origin of the universe. And if that's the case, and I believe it is, then he was somehow related to the existence, creation of other life forms on other planets. Mm Mm-hmm. And who am I to say that he, he and God the Father can't do that right. uh, for their own glory? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the philosophical suggestions that men have made in the past is that each planet is kind of an experiment on its own and that God <laughs> does this deliberately just for fun oh. <laughs> or, to, you know, to keep him busy or something, sure. I don't know, being a little facetious. Um, but I don't believe that's the case. Yeah. Um, and it raises the fundamental question then, is Jesus a savior just for earth or is he a savior for the universe? The universe, right. The whole universe, yeah. you see. And I have friends who could argue either side of that pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know. Interesting. So that's a good segue into the next series of books that you wrote. You wrote a trilogy, The uh, Pie of Mem. Mm-hmm. And uh, when was this first book written oh geez 19 <laughs> let me look on the first page <laughs> this is a pop quiz question <laughs> yeah 2020 2020 okay so you had um you you've you wrote that and then you s- proceeded to write two follow-on books mm-hmm. to that i mean obviously if that first one's 2020 this was this is a very recent series you just very finished. recent yes and uh, what is your part the general synopsis of the series well i the subtitle for the pie of Mem is called The Land of Memories Lost. And Mem is the name of the planet that's been recently discovered by uh, earthly uh, astronomers. Um, but it stands for memory. Mem stands for memory, really. And I don't want to give too much away here. <laughs> you have to leave a cliffhanger for your <laughs> cliffhanger for your audience. <laughs> but very briefly, it is fiction. Just to oh clarify. well, it's definitely fiction because yeah. you're on another planet. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so I hope nobody gets upset if they use their name. I use their name or something. <laughs> uh, the storyline is really quite simple. It is uh, a new planet that's just been discovered with life on it that's remarkably like humans. Mm. Aha. 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 
So that uh, makes... Sort of getting to the heart of what you believe here. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I can speak to Americans and the world that sure. way <laughs> through a fictional set of characters and the real dilemmas that they face. Mm. And in the storyline, uh, God created Mem in a rather unique way. It looks basically like a flat um, truck tire. Mm -hmm. It's not spherical. Right. Like Earth is, and, and most other planets. Right. It's flat on one side and flat on the other, and if you look down at it from the top, it's round. Okay. Like a thick coin. Yeah. Okay. You're and sort of appeasing or appealing to the uh, flat earthers out there in your. You've read part. <laughs> I, I say that in here. This yes, will please yes. the flat Earth Society. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and it the the mass of Earth, the mem, the planet, the pi of mem really represents the landmass centered right in the middle of this big coin mm. surrounded by ocean. So okay. it's a, a water planet. Right. And so it, it meets the criteria for life support if you want to go into the evolutionary point of view. I don't wipe sure. that out sure. immediately. Yeah. But I say in the text that God created it. Yeah. And that once he had it all settled and there were humans uh, humanoids on there, uh, on the planet, he met with them all. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to find out how they are and how are they doing, so forth. Uh, and they rejected him. Mm. Okay. You see where this is going? Yes. <laughs> and so, really, this is a series of uh, explorations for the reader in what would it be like if Jesus didn't show up yet? Mm. This is God the Father, creation, if you will, Um the details of the early part of the Old Testament, yeah, but not into the New Testament. Right. And how do I approach the secular reader with <laughs> um, a somewhat reasonable um, discussions, if you will, mm -hmm. events that take place between good and evil, for instance, and there's plenty of that, right. <laughs> um, without invoking New Testament, New Covenant teachings, you mm. see. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's basically that's... I'm giving the, the the plot line away. Basically, there. Um, God leaves a little book, and uh, it's one copy, and the pages are blank. Mm. And it's there's a caretaker in every generation for that book, and that person has to protect it from damage or destruction or whatever. And the pages can only be read by faith. Mm. That if the caretaker, and that's how the caretaker is selected, because he has enough yeah, faith. You do a great job sort of explaining these deep fundamental truths through these individual characters and their story, which I think is is radical in that it's it's simple <laughs> for those of us without the education requirement to read it. But but yeah, walking through the caretaker part of that and uh -huh. kind of explaining those those the deeper theological or philosophical. Uh -huh. True to that. So, so share with me, and you were about to mention in this faith and and um, and reading through the book here. There's a memory yes. component in your in your trilogy here. All of the characters, every, um, every purchase person on the planet Mem uh, has a memory defect, mm. and the little book gives the cause and the cure for mm -hmm. that defect. 
which we don't find out about until which you don't the heart. Uh, yeah, the heart. The heart. Yeah, the heart. Well, of good man. for you. <laughs> yes, I have your your signed trilogy here for <laughs> okay. those that want a copy. Wonderful, uh, Doctor Haynes is. We'll, we'll have a book signing for. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to write. Yeah, this sort of preoccupied the COVID era for you. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Which is yeah, I never helpful. thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's not easy to write a book. No, let alone three. <laughs> yeah. But it was fun, and uh, it it was a, a mind. It still is a mind stretching experiment or mm. experience uh, for me, at least, because huh, it's venturing into science fiction, and I've never done science fiction before. Mm. And, all you know, there's no holes barred there. Right. You can say and do almost anything you want, but I wanted to constrain it to the analogy between human beings and Memlandians, mm. and between the Bible and this little book, mm-hmm. and human behavior and what the Memlandians do, mm. which are stupid things in, <laughs> in some cases. And so the protagonist, his name is William, uh, is chartered by the president of the comp- the country he lives in to cure the people of Mem. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So the reader might jump to the conclusion that William is Jesus, but he's not. Mm. And I'm not going to tell you how it comes out. Right. But he has trouble. Right. He just has <laughs> trouble doing this. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have to, you'll, for those of you listening, you'll have to get all three books so you can find out... <laughs> How this how this plays out now? What I what I thought was interesting and and, and back to the relevance of our conversation on CE five and and the natural phenomenon and everything. You you took this opportunity, as you mentioned, a fictional opportunity, which is unique for you, to sort of explore the real rea- the the reality of these true mm. cases, the true to these folks cases that you've reported, and and to say what if. What if what is the case? And, and you you were, I think, one bravely, or boldly, able to ask those questions in spite of traditional religious constraints. Because it's a fictional book. Because it's a fictional book, <laughs> you can you can sort of write that off and just ex- explain right. it away. Right, right, yeah. But you had mentioned in a previous previous episode that you know a lot of our faith puts Christ or God in handcuffs and we, or, you know, people say put him in a box and, and, and we have this idea of who God is, which then (laughs) therefore negates him being God. And, um, and, and we, we assume, and you just mentioned, how can he, how can there be other intelligent life that would, that would necessitate Christ also dying for them? Um, or some version of that. Can you explain your thought process on that a little more, and maybe even you'd mentioned some of the scriptures that point to um, intelligent life or things like that. And I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't ask you to come prepared for this episode here, so we can revisit this later. But <laughs> well, well, thanks for raising the subject of faith because it's central to the whole trilogy, uh, and it's fundamental to life as far as I'm concerned. Mm. That uh, I've struggled in writing this with not only defining faith, mm. but looking at its limits. What, what are the limits to faith? Mm. Yeah. And where do those limits come from? Are they 
imposed by God? I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, are they imposed by the human being who is trying to develop faith? In order to read the little book in, right, in the right. series here. <clears throat> uh, and so William has to face those same questions as the caretaker of the book. And no, w- w- not w- William's the um, he's the protagonist. He's yeah. He's the hero. Okay. Yeah. He's the hero. Yeah. Right. And so he has real difficulty um, determining what's the best way to reach so many people with one book. Hmm. You see, does he put it on television and magnify it that way? Does he print more copies? He can't because it's invisible, and so forth. <laughs> um, so his hands are kind of tied there. It's a book, one book that has to be read by a person with faith. Mm. But what he discovers is that if he group has a f- group of five people in f- there, and one of them has the faith, the book opens for that person, everybody else gets to see it, oh. reads the, yeah. the text. And that builds their faith, because nice. they think they did it, right, you right, see. Right. And so I use this, I think it's, I called it the limited faith. Mm. Uh, or artificial faith, right? Because it's not really yours originally, but you're kind of latching on. Right, you're being fed by it. Yeah, you're benefiting from mm-hmm. it. So it, it's an exploration of faith, basically. Uh, and Hebrews chapter eleven, of course, is uh, one key definition. And I love the definition because it's basically believing in something you can't see. Right. <laughs> and that's exactly what's on the pages of this book because mm. you can't see it. Yeah. You see, that's where it comes from. Um, or believing, having confidence, sufficient confidence that things exist that, that you can't see. Hmm. Now, science comes along with its uh, microscopes and electron microscopes and so forth and sees down to the atom now, right? Right, right. And in the Greek language, atom is the smallest particle in the Greek panoply. Uh, and I believe you can go smaller than the atom because of that, mm-hmm. that there has to be a mystery beyond the smallest particle. That right. would be my naive way of viewing uh, the Scripture. Yeah. Um, mm. But faith, to me, is fundamental, <laughs> and I feel sorry for people who who s- get hung up at the belief stage. Mm. And so I make a distinction in this book between faith and belief because they're different. Mm. In the Jewish tradition it's and, and Scripture and, and Old Testament theology, it's my understanding that the word faith is an active verb. Mm. It has to have some action sure. resulting from it yeah. or it's not faith. Right. The Gentile world, I believe uses the word faith in the sense of belief, which is a cognitive... No action required. Yeah, passive. It's passive. Mm-hmm. That's right. Wow. Now, maybe I'm missing the point there, and I'd be delighted to have someone straighten me out on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, it's a big difference. Oh, yeah. So yeah. in the book of James, in the New Testament, he goes into wonderful detail on how you test faith. Mm. He says, faith without works is dead. Right. It's useless, it's without form, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, and that 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 faith then, and that that differentiation is sort of explains the limitations then, or or the restrictions we put on our own belief system, our own religiousness, and where we 
<laughs> than tie the hands of God or or um, put him in a box. And so, so it sounds like from yeah. if we if we pull it back further, the simple belief, the cognitive function, we can't get past this idea of there could be uh, right. extraterrestrial life. Therefore, and then we extrapolate that out <laughs> versus just having faith and saying, yeah, God is. is God. He's big enough to do that if he wants. And Exactly. Now, now let's play the advocate side of this, which I'm sure you have or have heard of <laughs> from people uh, having discussions with you. Why are people so hung up on this idea that Christ had to have come just for me and not other people, other universe, you know, other life outside of yeah. this world, this planet? What's the implication or the I, danger of that, I guess? Oh, gee, there's a lot of questions there. <laughs> <laughs> One question at a time. This is an academic uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you should be a professor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pop, pop quiz, that's how they do it, right? <laughs> I didn't, didn't have you come with any notes. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, first you started out by asking, uh, why uh, is there evidence in Scripture that would say that God is only the God sure. of one yeah, planet. Sure, yeah, we can go back to... And, mm. Jesus himself said, in my Father's house are many mansions. Mm. And that word mansion has been scrutinized very closely for a lot of, you know, by a lot of very bright theologians mm -hmm. and Bible scholars and so forth. Um, and I don't think they all agree mm. on what a mansion is. We want to see a mansion as a house I live in. Right. One family or one person, let's say. But who's to say that that mansion can't be a planet right. like Mem? Sure. That, that yeah. <clears throat> I'm not going to say that God is not creative or that he can't do something. Right, right. Do that. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it puzzles me that uh, people can quickly jump to that conclusion and not really be able to back it up. Mm. Do you think there are theological implications of allowing God to to be so creative? What do you mean allowing? In our minds, allowing. You know, you know, there's there's a whole segment of people, and maybe even the majority of people, that would say, No, it's just us here on the earth. I can't allow God to I can't believe in a God that would have ah, created ah, I see. other well, you know, life outside of this. Yeah. Well we're back to UAP again. Mm. Unidentified aerial phenomena, right? Because they represent the leading edge of what we were talking about, mm -hmm. um, and that's frightening. Right. I'll be the first to admit uh, that if we are uh, surrounded in the universe from all directions by the unknown, that's very, very frightening. Right. <laughs> because we want to put them into a box called anthropomorphic, mm. or, or like we are, so to speak. Sure. One head. Two arms, two legs. Uh, did you see Star Wars? Oh yeah. Okay. Do you remember the scene in there, the the <laughs> barroom scene? Yeah. And every form of life, he was so creative. Yeah. You know, I loved it. And that's much more and likely. And they could play instruments. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> jazz bands. Yeah, the whole jazz band going. <laughs> <laughs> that was very creative. Yeah. Because I think he touched upon God's creativity there mm, without yeah. even knowing it. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I mean, it sort of it, it elicits um, the image in my mind of jumping in off a off a carrier in the middle of the ocean and just having no idea what's under me, and, mm. and what's below, and not having explored those depths, mm. 
and and knowing that there there's everything that we do know right there, but there's also a lot of what we don't know <laughs> swimming underneath me, uh-huh. and that that fear of my feet just dangling out there in the middle of the Pacific, and you know what could be underneath. I mean, there's so much from the microscopic all the way up, you know. That, and so I, I can understand and relate to that fear of like, yeah. what what is this UAP? What it, what are we seeing and what are we sensing from all sides in a universe that yeah. we have no idea? So why would you not call them? as I would, quick to, to quick to call them some sort of spiritual being or spiritual phenomena, uh, as we know Scripture does teach about mm-hmm. the, um, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in behind the veil, essentially, with <laughs> demonic activity or angelic activity okay. and, and what, you know, how that all plays out, and, and what we know even of uh, historical encounters in Scripture uh, from the angels and beings visiting mm-hmm. mankind and what that looks like. So, what would what would cause you to say this is not that this is I mean certainly some of them could be but this is more likely other life or other mm-hmm. um, phenomena? Sure. Well, I think you've very uh, uh, adroitly expressed the dimension of visual and invisible, or existent and pre-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, If you look carefully, not you, if one looks carefully (laughs) into the Old Testament, uh, when God is creating the earth, basically, it says in the beginning, God created, he started with light Mm. of all things, Mm -hmm. and he separated ups from downs. Mm. I love gravity Mm -hmm. because it gives me such a sense of of direction, if you will. (laughs) By the way, on Mem, the water of the oceans doesn't flow off the sides of the Mm. planet Mm-hmm. Because gravity is, the planet's thick enough to have gravity. Nice. Holds everything vertical on the right. surface. Okay. Perfect. We go back to spirit. Uh, the Bible is filled with spirit mm. and invisibility and angels and strange cherubim and seraphim that mm-hmm. we don't even know what they are. Right, right. And so forth. Images uh, that are trying to describe clearly the. the uh, the unknown, but the creation of God. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're all within the creation of God. Right. And that's what gives the unifying value, I think, to the believer, mm. um, that everything is within his control. Now, we want to limit that. Oh, many people do. I don't. But many people want to limit that to our own planet, I think, out of fear. Mm. Sure out of fear of what we might find. And this has been, a, I think, mm. a conflict for the NASA's space program mm-hmm. a long time. Uh, my first book I ever wrote was entitled uh, The Philosophy of the Space Age, mm. 1964, just pretty early in the program. Right. And I explored in that book... Um, what are the motive... Why are we going into space in the first place? Mm. What's... Why are we doing this? Right. <laughs> well, there was a whole cadre of people that said because the Russians were just up there with Sputnik. Right. <laughs> Sputnik in Russian, by the way, means fellow traveler mm. around the Earth. It was orbital, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it was a military reaction against a Cold War en- enemy. Right. Is that word. Um, but... 
underlying much of the nuts and the bolts of, of the NASA to go into space is this hidden, unspoken curiosity in some cases, fear in, the, in another, uh, of what we might find there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you a story. McDonnell Douglas was building the Mercury capsule. This is the one man, John Glenn, mm. seven original Mercury astronauts. Right. Uh, they were building this capsule, I think, in St. Louis at the plant there. And they had a, um, you know what the shape of the capsule was, yes, basically. Yeah. They had no windows in it. Yeah. And the astronauts came through for a tour of the facility and see how they're doing at one point. And they noticed right away there was no window. And all of them agreed immediately, we're not going up in that thing. Because there's no window. <laughs> we want to see something. <laughs> well, all, the only thing that the engineers and McDonnell Douglas had put in was a periscope. And this is a little telescope you look out through a little hole through optics, basically, and right. see a f- limited field of view of circle. Sure. Just like a little fisheye fish lens kind of thing from a. Well, a yeah, I don't know how wide it was. It wasn't very big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they, they did a union strike. <laughs> and McDonnell Douglas tried to talk him out of it, saying, this is going to add too much weight. There's a stress issue there for pressure and right. all this. Yeah. Come up with all these engineering <laughs> kinds of ar- ar- uh, arguments. And they said, we're not going up in that. Huh. And so they put in a window. Wow. Yeah. Because it was it was not about necessarily this militaristic or cold exploration. It was about seeing life. Experience. Seeing something. Experiencing something. Yeah. Experience. Wow. To the to the degree that they striked until it was, until some poor poor uh, engineers had to work around the clock to put in. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Someone, oh honey, I'm late for dinner because of the prima donna astronauts (laughs) over here. Right. So I've I've done an analysis over the years of windows in spacecraft Mm. that Russians and Americans have used, and wrote a a NASA paper, a technical paper on reviewing these windows and mm. what do they have in common and how are they different? And you have micrometeorite shield on all the Russian vehicles. There's a metal plate that you can manually, oh. literally manually move and the plate will come down <laughs> Good. and cover the glass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And these are three pane windows, by the way. Uh, Americans don't use that approach. Oh, what do they, <laughs> what do Americans they use? They let them break. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Space shuttle came back from one of its missions, landed, I think, in Florida, although that doesn't matter. And they go through this post-flight analysis of everything, including the shuttle. Mm-hmm. And this, the heat tiles on the bottom and the windshield and the nose cone and all that sort of thing. They found a crack in one of the windows. Oh my God. And they did a microscopic analysis, and they found embedded in the crater of the glass um, paint, paint, man-made paint, the really? chemistry of paint. Interesting. And they think it was a speck of paint that's been in orbit from before then okay. that they ran into it at about 15,000 miles an hour. It <laughs> oh almost gosh. broke the window. <laughs> a speck of paint? <laughs> Oh, if they, if you didn't need anything else to worry about in space, let alone all the space garbage floating out there, one piece of dust 
right. from something you, right. who knows where. I mean, think about all the meteorite dust right. and everything else. You you see these Star Wars movies and everything else, and you see them flying through <laughs> meteor fields or asteroid fields or whatever. And uh, now that puts a whole new perspective of flying. Yeah. If yeah. if the stress of and the speeds at which you're flying in a vacuum uh, can cause a flake of paint to crack your window. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't know how we got onto that. Wow, wow. Uh, it's hard to keep me on course. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you get the good stories, though. It's perfect. <laughs> so you had wrote a um, you had you had wrote a book uh, to bring it back on track here about <laughs> about the why we were going into space and uh, yeah. and the, uh-huh. um, the philosophy the behind philosophy it. behind it and and. One of the reasons I'm sure you wrote about or, or discovered through the process was this philosophical or religious uh, motivation behind it, especially in a culture that was back then at least more Christian in culture, if not in actual relationship, and uh, a desire to want to know more about God's universe, but also life in general, and if mm-hmm. we're here, and 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 and, and on the same in the same hand, the fear of that and what that could mean, the implications of what that could mean if you found mm-hmm. life. I, th- I think I found a third category as well. Okay. And that would be the uh, self-focused, uh, egocentric, power, mm-hmm. A-type mm-hmm. Uh, mentality that wanted power and authority and mm-hmm. money and, and whatever. That'd be more like the uh, billionaire space race today with Bezos and, um, and Elon Musk and... Um, Not nec- no, I wouldn't say that about them. Okay. Um, I think they're properly motivated. Um, no, I, I, my point is simply that there's many motivations to go into space, mm-hmm. just as there's many motivations to stay not in sp- going into space, <laughs> sure, okay. stay here, yeah, right? Yeah. Keep our head buried in the sand. Right. Uh, but God is bigger than, <laughs> a lot bigger than we think he is, mm. and maybe we're trying to find him. Right. Mm. I remember one of the cosmonauts went out. I think it was Gagarin, but it, it might have been a later astro- a cosmonaut. And he, one of his famous transmissions, radio transmissions from orbit to Earth, was, I don't see God out here. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. in, in a sarcastic way or in a oh, uh, yes. realistic? No, he was okay. putting holes in mm. Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible. So, to that end, Christ came and died here on Earth, here for us humans, and here for us. Would you say there's a chance that a Christ-like figure and/or Christ Himself went to other universes or other planets and died for those mm-hmm. creatures there? Or when you say intelligence life, intelligent life. Are you are you meaning more like what we have all around us here? And humans are still the relationship between God and and us. We are the spiritual aspect of that. The only ones with souls. And you're saying intelligent life, like animals and, and things oh, like I that. I see what you, I planets. see what you're. Or are you saying there's yes. other creatures with souls? Yeah. In the if if I said there were had to be creatures, I mean animals, <clears throat> on other planets only and no humanoids, mm-hmm. I'd be limiting God. Right. I can't do that. So there could be other of other humanoids with souls. Probably more than we can count. Yeah. Astronomers have finally turned the corner big time on the number of habitable planets. Right. You know that. Yeah. 
and I hope your listeners do too. Mm-hmm. We are not the only habitable planet anymore. Right. We used to be. And it's not just Mars. Like it's we like used, Earth used to be the center of the universe too. Right, right. right. Things have changed. Uh, no, I, I think that God is infinitely creative, and he has the right and the authority to do anything he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Bible teaches that we have one Son of God. That's mm. important. Mm. So then the question is, what is Jesus doing before he returns? Mm-hmm. If a, a day is as a thousand years and vice versa. Right. In other words, time can be compressed or expanded right. relative to us now right. in our way of thinking, then that gives Jesus a lot of time to visit other places. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and and do the same things, and, and by the same vein, if we are looking at Scripture as a book specifically to us as a human race versus other intelligent soul-bearing life in other planets, um, then then it would it would certainly make sense when he says we are created in His image uh, versus these other anthropologic type creatures that may or may not be created in his image, mm-hmm. uh, that then also have their own Bible and or their own process and or maybe not even sin. I mean, who knows, right? Like like you said, God yeah. can do infinitely right. more than we know or capable of. Mm-hmm. Are there any precautions or dangers you want our listeners or myself to be aware of <laughs> in in opening our mind to something like this? when it comes to our faith, for those of us that are Christ followers, what would be a pitfall of exploring this that we need to be cautious of? Sure, sure. Uh, I think the most obvious one that jumps to mind is don't limit God. Mm. Right. But that's rather prosaic. That's, that's uh, by mon- that, almost mundane. Yeah, by that, by that analogy, I mean, I'm free to do whatever, go believe whatever, which it can be very dangerous. It can take you off course in a hurry. But right. I guess what I'm saying is be open to miracles. Mm-hmm. If God can do anything and you're not going to limit him now, he can cause wine out of water. Right. He can do that. Right. I can't. Right. Fortunately, his son could. Right. And the wedding feast went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, or walking on water. Mm-hmm. You see. Peter, uh, for those Listeners who may not know this story, it's it's one of the wonderful parables that Jesus, uh, the story of Jesus, actually, on the Lake Galilee. Um, the 12 disciples get in a boat, and they're going to row across the Sea of Galilee, which is about six, eight miles across. And out in the middle, it comes along a storm, and it gets to be dark, and they're starting to flounder, and water's coming into the boat, and they're scared. Yeah, Jesus was not with them. He told them, guys, go on ahead. I'll meet you over there. Mm-hmm. And they didn't question him. They just said, okay. So they obeyed him. That's great. Mm-hmm. Up to this point in the story, they obeyed him. Right. They started <laughs> rowing by and so forth. Well, in the middle of the night, when they're about ready to give it all up, Jesus walks on the water toward them, and they think at first he's a ghost. Of course, yeah. <laughs> which is a pretty logical yeah. kind of a, a belief at that a point. A UAP, maybe. Whatever. <laughs> and Peter, of all people, 
uh, look at him and say, no, that's the Lord. Mm. And jumps out of the boat and walks on the water, keeping his eyes on, mm-hmm. on, on the Lord, yeah. right? Well, the story says that Peter looks down at the water, is influenced by that circumstance mm-hmm. called danger and wetness and cold and <laughs> sinking and gravity and all right. those things, begins to sink down in the water, and Jesus comes just in time and saves him. Mm-hmm. But Jesus asks him, where is your faith? Mm. Where is your faith? Yeah. And, and this is included in a, an area of the scripture that's dealing with faith, exploring faith from a number of different directions. I tried to um, borrow, if you will, some of the basics of that discussion from scripture in this trilogy of Mem, mm-hmm. so that the secular reader who likes science fiction but would never read a Christian book mm-hmm. would get that idea of faith and the importance right. of faith. Right. Mm. So you were using that to explain to me the dangers of continuing down this path of believing God can do anything. Yeah, yeah. I guys, I got hung up on uh, don't limit God. <laughs> and also, I mean, that's a great way to illustrate the faith in action, the faith that it, that is, it, it is an action um, uh, word or, or belief. It's not just belief that's cognitive, as you mentioned. I mean, Peter did something with that. Because of his faith, he right. could walk on water. Right, right. Um, belief wasn't enough. Right, right. I guess that's a summary I would have. <clears throat> And I think in our culture today, young people, particularly with the internet and uh, <clears throat> social media and uh, AI coming on big time, mm-hmm. are going to more and more fall into the trap that belief is sufficient. Mm. Mm. And they'll leave faith behind. Yeah. Mm. I hope I'm wrong. Right. Absolutely. So it sounds like to wrap up this segment, all of this, um, you're not somebody in a tinfoil hat here in the studio with me. <laughs> you've no, got I left the, that out in the car. You left that out in the car. You've got the, <laughs> you've got the credentials. You've got the, uh, obviously, the desire and um, the, the ability to articulate all of this in your, in your uh, series and your books and things like that. And I think, for me, one of the, the big takeaways here is don't limit God, as you mentioned. He is big enough to, to do whatever. And and, but in the same, in the same hand or the same vein of thought, the same train of thought, the same line of thought. <laughs> <laughs> explore that in caution. Explore that in with discretion. Explore it with, um, in wisdom and in faith. Because I think obviously the Lord's not going to lead us astray. He's not going to take us so far out that we are now in a universalism type theology or, or something like that where we're just believing everything because we don't want to limit God, you know? And so I, I think to, to put an end marker on that is trusting in God to lead that discussion right. versus doing it out of some other sort of agenda. That's how I would take that. If it's, you know, really looking at my heart, that's the, that's the telltale sign and the marker here. If I'm, if I'm doing it for my own political agenda or greed or pride or scientific authority or whatever, I'm not doing it for God. And that may lead me into the same places, but it's certainly not going to be the agenda of God. But if I'm doing it 
in this in the faith of Lord, you are big, you are great, you are capable of these wonderful and amazing things. Teach me now what is right. He'll very quickly put a cap on where I'm going too far. <laughs> I'm Tim, sure that's so. a beautiful summary. <laughs> beautiful summary. Well, I'm encouraged by by all of the work you've done here, uh, and and the ability you've had to join me in the last couple episodes to sort of walk me through this and uh, share with me some of your passions here in the extraterrestrial, which is something I would have never <laughs> strayed into. So <laughs> where do I find myself? <laughs> well, I would say that you're very brave <laughs> and uh, you're unusual <laughs> just for uh, having the willingness to consider these things mm. uh, from a crazy person. That's <laughs> not, not crazy. Um, <laughs> Keep your mind open, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, don't have such an open mind that your brains fall out. Right. <laughs> That's a good balance right there. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's been a pleasure here. It, I've really enjoyed uh, it, looked forward well. to it. Absolutely. So that's a good segue into the next episode, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you listening, speaking of your brains falling out, we will be discussing uh, some legacy topics here. One more episode, at least, with Dr. Haynes. Tune in here shortly uh, next week, and we'll be discussing, uh, yeah, brains brains falling out and the legacy behind that and, and, and really what is important in this life as we go forward. So as, uh, as my kids would say here, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Anavivo podcast. We welcome your feedback and ideas. You can learn more about us by simply Googling the word Anavivo. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. I am a licensed real estate broker with Compass Real Estate and a nationwide real estate matchmaker. We consult with you for free, find and vet the right real estate professional that specializes in the area and niche you need, are paid by that professional, and they get clients like yourself who want and need their unique specialty or winning track record. If you or someone you know is in the market to buy or sell real estate anywhere in the U.S., don't simply web search the highest paying advertiser. Let us use our licensed experience to find and vet the real and best professional for you. It costs you nothing but a phone call or email with me and it saved my clients financially and emotionally. I'd be honored to serve and you can reach me direct by email at tim.c.miller at outlook.com. And as always, to God be the glory.